This is an ABC podcast. Unity has been very upset and, um, you know, we'd made a, made a decision to follow um, Cassia's mum's wishes to come together to honour him and to respect um, Cassia's and that's the feeling that you got here today. Communities gather across the country to remember teenager Cassius Turvey and call for change. And a new generation of Queensland bushwalkers are shaking off that daggy dad image of the pastime. I've been doing their hikes for about two months now and I love it. I guess before I was such a reserved, indoors kind of person and now I feel like I've wasted so many years and now I have these opportunities and I jump out of bed in the morning instead of not wanting to get up every day. I'm Gianfranco Di Giovanni and this is Australia Wide, coming to you from Wajak Country. Indigenous communities across Australia are grieving Cassius Turvey's death. Police allege the 15-year-old was attacked while walking home from school with his friends in suburban Perth. Thousands gathered in the WA capital this morning with rallies and vigils set to unfold across the country. It's almost like another Black Lives Matter moment in our history and I'm hoping, like, like Michelle is hoping, that today will be a statement for all Australians to say, come together guys. They know their community is with them and they've got their arms wrapped around them and the nation because this is such a tragic, tragic thing to happen. How do you feel seeing so many people turn up today? I reckon it is so deadly that um, seeing so many people that we are here to support the family and support everyone that we don't want it to happen again. We want everyone to come together and we don't, um, no matter what colour we are or whatever, we need to be equal. I think our young kids are being safe is one of the biggest things, you know. If they can't walk the street, there's something wrong with the world. All across the state of WA and the country, vigils are being held in almost every region, including the Midwest town of Geraldton, where local reporter Rachel Clifford was today. Hello, Rachel. Hello. Now, can you tell me what was the the community feeling? Today, it started with a minute of silence, followed by a statement from the Turvey family. There was about 100 people who turned out for the day of action in the Midwest town of Geraldton. And amongst the group, there were school students and police. Um, and they say that they were there just to support the community. Event organisers planned to have no formal speeches today, but invited friends, family and community to pay their respects to Cassius Turvey. Um, there were 15 crosses in the grass to mark the 15 years of Cassius Turvey's life. Along with that, there were some signs saying Forever 15. Uh, today's action is also on top of a candlelit vigil which was held here in the Midwest on Monday night where more than 100 people turned out to support the Turvey family. Um, it's been a very warm day here in Geraldton, around 29 degrees. Police were out and about hand- handing some water while people retreated to the shade. Yes, so today was quite sombre. Um, the community were called for change. It was in a very an emotional morning here in Geraldton with tears shed. Um, there was lots of hugs and also a wailing circle where some music was played. Um, speaking with some community members and elders in the town, they said today's main message is that kids come first. Uh, I did speak with Yamiji elder Dr Charmaine Green about today's proceedings. Community has been very upset and um you know, we'd made a, made a decision to follow um, Cassia's mum's wishes, to come together to honour him and to respect um, Cassia's. 
and that's the feeling that you got here today. Peaceful, people very um, honourable in their words and sharing of stories and also um, talking about protecting our children in the Geraldton and Mullawar community as well. So at the end of the rally today, there was a condolence book that was laid out uh, for people to sign or write messages, and that would be passed on to Cassius's mother. There was quite a long line of people wanting to share and express their emotions. Um, local MP Lara Dalton also spoke, and I spoke with Geraldton elder Jennifer Gregory Knifton, um, who spoke about uh, bringing people together and how important it is um, to put our children First. Critically important for the family because they know their community is with them and have got their arms wrapped around them and the nation because this is such a tragic, tragic thing to happen to a young boy in the prime. That's right, yeah, we're all mothers, grandmothers, fathers, you know, sisters, nieces. The impact has been great right across the state, you know, um, for. Um, this young fella and lots of other young fellows who've gone before him. We just need to do something about this. Rachel, thank you so much for giving us an update. No worries. Thanks for your time. Western Australian police say the investigation into Cassius' death is ongoing and homicide squad detectives are building a picture of the circumstances leading up to the attack. You're listening to Australia Wide. They've terrorised our poor sheep. They've terrorised our peacocks. Chased away all our chickens. Yeah, it's been a bit hectic. <laughs> um, yeah, they're reasonably commonish as far as snakes go here around the resort. On ABC Radio. And you're with me, Gianfranco Di Giovanni, in for Sinead Mangan today. Working remotely is a habit that's transferred into the post-pandemic world and now even doctors are joining the trend. A remote bush nursing centre in northeast Victoria has trialled a mixed reality headset to connect patients to Metro doctors in a holographic consulting room. The trial conducted in Dargo includes specialist consultations for nephrology, post-operative reviews and urgent GP consultations. Gippsland reporter Natasha Shapova has more. It was once a term only known by gamers and sci-fi fans, but virtual reality is now entering the real world. Doctors are using VR headsets to bridge the gap between patients in remote areas and specialists located hours away. It makes me feel like I'm in the room with the patient and the nurse acts my eyes and my ears. The HoloLens gives really good resolution, really good quality pictures, and also is more mobile than a standard webcam. Nephrologist Christopher Seal was one of the first doctors to trial HoloLens, consulting a patient in the remote northeast Victorian town of Dargo, home to about 100 residents, but no doctors. The technology transports health practitioners into a holographic consulting room. The nurse wears the headset facing the patient while taking directions from the doctor watching through a computer. Telehealth in general is really helpful for patients, especially those who live in rural communities, as it cuts down on travel and is a lot more convenient. So if there is a technology that allows you to have a safe and effective telehealth consultation, I think that's a win for all involved. Dargo Bush Nursing Centre nurse Sarah Carr says HoloLens allows her to feel more comfortable and supported in her role. It allows for us to actually pinpoint any areas of concern or interest that the GP or the specialist may like to look at. So to have someone who's specialised, experienced at the other end, seeing what I'm seeing, that makes a huge difference for my treatment care. 
Dargo resident Lorraine Paul sees a specialist each month for a kidney problem. Previously, she was forced to drive over an hour for a regular telehealth consult. With the HoloLens, it's a lot easier because you pick out a special day and you don't have to go anywhere. Just go home again. Following the successful trial, Bairnsdale Regional Health Service purchased 12 units to distribute across East Gippsland by the end of the year. BRHS CEO Robin Hales says timely care should reduce the severity of health problems. People often, because of distance, tend to be a bit reluctant to access care quite often, so it will enable timely care and it will enable care to be right at people's doorstep. HoloLens costs about $5,500 per unit, but Ms Hales says they're worth the price. If we can get patients that utilise that on a really regular basis, decrease people's travel, decrease ambulances needing to go out and collect patients, that provides really timely care, which is a significant cost saver. That's Bairnsdale uh, Regional Health Services CEO Robin Hales, ending that report from Natasha Shapova. You're listening to Australia Wide. I don't want to put a killjoy on their fabulous family tradition, but um, that was just mayhem and chaos. The majority of them are still buying their trees, regardless of the snake. So this is the first time we've opened the slide this summer. On ABC Radio. They say it's the most important job in the world, educating the next generation. But for families in remote areas, it's not without its challenges. The role of remote education tutors is unpaid and not classed as a profession. Research from the University of Southern Queensland has found these issues are contributing to remote education being an unseen and underappreciated occupation. Toowoomba reporter Ellie Bradfield has this story. For more than a decade, Kelly McDonald will put her career on hold to do a job with no pay, no career progression and requiring no formal qualifications, educating her children. As a distance ed mum, um, I really don't have any other work opportunities, um, not until my youngest has gone away to boarding school, really. Choosing to live where we do, my life's priorities have just had to become educating my children. She has employed governesses before on their property west of Springshaw, but she says both financial and time pressures means it's just easier to do it herself. Time being that it's a lot of extra work on us um, and stress to find the right person um, that's going to fit in with our job as it's not just educating, it's, it's also about finding someone that's going to fit into our family and be able to live remotely. It's quite a complex role that we as mums have to teach the employees from, from scratch. So it takes a lot of time and effort. University of Southern Queensland researcher Dr Karen Peel has focused on these issues in her research on remote education tutors or RETs. We found that from our uh, survey of about nearly 600 reps, that, uh, and 99% of the time it's actually a female that, that, that uh, does this job. So uh, sometimes it's an employed female and other times it's, um, it's the mother. <laughs> You've found that there's um, limited career pathways, no way to gain a formal qualification. So what is then the, the flow-on effects of that? It impacts um, the students um, and the families and actually the RETs themselves. At 
this point in time, there's a limited supply of RETs that are available to supervise in, in the school rooms. They often have no choice but for the mother to take on that role. And that um, can have uh, obviously financial impacts because the mother then cannot earn income that um, otherwise might have been able to be earned. And also, it also has impacts on, on that work-life balance for the mother. Emily Watterson moved 16 hours away from her home to be a governess on a station near Alpha, a decision that she says was the best of her life. She doesn't have a teaching degree, but does have responsibility for three girls in prep and years two and three. With this job, there's no career progression. There's no real reward for all of our years' experience. Like, I don't get a piece of paper. I don't get any prerequisites. If I go, I really love this. I want to go in and teach. Do you just give up govying something that you absolutely love so you can go and study to be a teacher? But then even all your work that you do do as a govy doesn't even get, you don't get a mention when you go to do a teaching degree. So I think that's really hard and it's mentally hard to wrap your head around that, you know, like I put my whole entire life nearly into this job. Like I love this job. I love the family. I love the girls. You know, I do all of this and then, you know, I say, oh, I want to do something else. And I walk away and go all of that hard work, all of those hours, everything, and, yeah, we don't get anything for it. Kelly McDonald says more recognition and support are crucial. Our role is not even classed as an occupation when we put so much time and effort and love into it. What we're doing as home tutors is so important. Um, I mean, you can't get a more important job than educating the future of our country, can you? So having it not recognised is probably a real downer for us but in saying that we just can't we just don't have the time to think about it we just have to keep going and and focus on the positive remote education tutor and mother kelly mcdonald from Springshaw, queensland ending that report from ellie bradfield you're listening to australia wide you don't have to fit a certain shape or person or, you know, anyone can do it. I could see that she was starting to expand because it's it's a solid piece of work. On ABC Radio. And to the Northern Territory now, where Darwin's rural residents say it's not safe to commute by bicycle. About 100 bicycles are estimated to use the old rail trail on the outskirts of Darwin each day. And rural residents are calling for the rail trail to be extended to Humpty Doo so people can cycle commute to Palmerston and inbound. Darwin reporter Connor Byrne investigated. Monica's method of transport is unusual for the harsh top-end climate. She lives in Humpty Doo in Darwin's rural area and works in Parmeston, 16 kilometres away as the cocky flies. But her commute is different to that of many people. So I drive my car to Coolalinga and I ride my bike from Coolalinga to Palmerston. And why don't you just drive all the way? Why do you bother stopping at Coolalinga? The ride's great. It's great exercise. The view, the scenery is amazing. Usually I get a bit of a sunrise, so that's fantastic. And today I got a bit of a rain cloud, so that was refreshing. You cycle to work, literally rain, hail or shine? Yeah, no hail, but definitely rain, shine and a lot of buffeting headwinds. And why don't you cycle the whole way from your home to your office? Uh, there's no bike path. So there's a small strip of bike path at Humpty Doo that runs approximately from the pub down towards the Arnhem Highway Stewart lights, but that's it. Otherwise, it's a bit treacherous dealing with the cars um, and also the really thick gravel. So it's not as enjoyable as 
the really nice bike path. Monica is one of about 100 cyclists estimated to use the path daily. I'd love to if there was a safe way of doing it. I can't get to a bike path from where I live uh, safely in peak hour. Amateur endurance athlete Brad George also lives in Humpty Doo and works in East Arm. He'd welcome the opportunity to ride to work, but getting to and along the Stuart Highway is only part of his barrier to commuting. Tivendale Road and the Berrima Road Rail Bridge are also unwelcoming for cyclists. And if you've ever gone across that uh, little bridge uh, that goes across where the train line is there, you'll see that there's no path, lots of trucks. I've done that ride a couple of times and a few of my uh, colleagues do it as well occasionally, but it's not a safe environment. You're reliant on people maintaining that one metre at 60k an hour or one and a half metres at 80k's an hour, which uh, not a lot of people understand that's a rule. And have you had any close calls? Oh, definitely. Definitely. Um, I ride a motorbike the rest of the time and you ride a motorbike in Darwin expecting everyone to try and kill you. When you ride a push bike, you expect a mix of abuse and people either not realising how close they are to you or by enjoying playing the game of getting as close as they can to you. And do you know any other people who who ride in the the rural area, let's say, from who commute, try and get from Humpty Doo to Palmerston, East Arm, and and Uh, actually do it on the highway? I know quite a few people who ride on the weekends on the highway and use it as a way of getting out of the city to do the Cox Peninsula ride or to go to Berry Springs or somewhere like that. And they're generally riding in groups and... When they're riding out, it's normally uh, early in the morning, so there's a lot, a lot of traffic around. I don't know anyone who successfully rides and ends up the highway to get themselves to the bike path out of the rural area. Most people will either, if they're going to try and ride some of it, they will uh, drive to the shopping centre, one of the shopping centres there, and jump on at that point, or come through, try and sneak through the back roads where possible, but that's uh, not a great experience at the moment, um, just with the amount of uh, truck traffic and, and the light coming out of out of um, the Arnhem Highway. What would a bike path do for the area, let's say from Humpty Doo? If you could get onto the bike path, that commute is actually all of 30, 35 k's for a lot of people going into the you know, if you're going to Winelli or uh, Palmerston or into East Arm for work, as short as 20 for some parts of the rural area, that's a, that's a really doable commute for people, especially in the dry season. Uh, I reckon people would love it and they would use it. Kids wanting to go to go to sport at Fred's Pass, other activities, uh, get up to the new swimming pool when it eventually opens in Palmerston, bike path that make a major difference for them. And people wanting to go and work part-time who don't have car transport, younger people, they could get out of the rural area and get onto, get onto the bike path and get to work as well. The existing bike path south to Coolalinga was built in 2019. The path is built on the old North Australia railway line constructed in the 18 and 1900s. The railway closed in 1976 and the old track extends south for hundreds of kilometres. So why isn't there a bike path? That's a probably a, what would the answer be, a $20 million question? The train line that ran that the current bike path sits on is there. You can see parts of it. I'm one of those people who enjoys the running up and down that train line area. The land is there. It's just a case of having the will to connect it up with, with the concrete and get it up and running. There's no lack of land. They've just got to convert what's there into, into a bike path and make it all weather, as they've done with the extension to Coolinga. 
The NT Infrastructure Planning and Logistics Department said it has identified a priority to extend the path from Kulalinga to Humpty Doo and a widespread shared path review will be released this year. But it also said there's no timeline for funding or delivery. In the meantime, rural cyclists will have to figure out how to bridge the gap in their commute. That's our reporter in Darwin, Connor Byrne. And you can watch the video on the ABC Darwin page and read more about Connor's story and the challenges faced by rural, rural cyclists on abc.net.au. In a moment of weakness, I said, yeah, sure. Let's do 70. ABC Australia-wide. Once the domain of the daggy dad bushwalking has suddenly become pretty cool, the online adventure influencers have taken to the outdoors and turned it into a billion-dollar industry with more Australians than ever getting on board for this summer. And there's no exception for Townsville in regional Queensland where grassroots exercise activities are booming. North Queensland reporter Jade Toomey has this story. Getting outdoors is getting a makeover. Polished online content of women taking on the wilderness has more Australians hitting the trail. You go out and like sleep under the stars for like several nights in a row. Across regional Queensland, bushwalking groups have grown by 40,000 members in the past two years. Rachel Preston joined a Townsville hiking group during COVID but was reluctant to start at first. I was a bit dubious, I wasn't confident, so I went on the um, Mount Louisa bush track walk to start with and almost died, <laughs> not literally, but was not fit at all, so got the confidence up to do it again. And I've been doing their hikes for about two months now and I love it. Turned my whole outlook around. I love being outdoors, I love being in nature and been through a lot in my life. was just looking for different experiences and to meet new people and... I guess before I was such a reserved indoors kind of person and now I feel like I've wasted so many years and now I have these opportunities and I jump out of bed in the morning instead of not wanting to get up every day. Rachel's not alone, according to bushwalking guide Sarah Steinegg. We're all here just to improve ourselves as in if it's physically or even mentally. Sometimes the choice of even getting out of bed and coming here can be the hardest part, not just the hike. Brooke Delandre from the Australian Institute of Sport says since COVID, more people are choosing to exercise with community running and walking groups rather than traditional organised sport. Our latest National Ausplay survey is showing that more Australians are taking advantage of being outdoors. More than 10 million Australians were outside um, taking part in bushwalking activities and just enjoying the great outdoors. And the data shows women are leading the charge to the wilderness. Women are taking up more action sports. Um, We've got the bushwalking, we've seen in our last survey, uh, surfing was really popular amongst females. Jemima Robinson founded Adventure Reels, a company that curates adventure films into festivals that tour the world. She says the rise of the online adventure influencer has seen interest in the outdoors explode. I do love like the hardcore adventure enthusiasts who come to the film festival with their cut off shorts no matter what time of 
the day or week it is and they've got their TVs and their socks like that's great but it's it's also super nice to see a whole new generation of people and a whole lot of a whole lot of new look. Jemima says social media has played a huge role encouraging people to pull on their hiking boots. Young kids who are just like out on a weekend like having a crack can post content and get people engaged and inspire other people. In the last decade female-led adventure content has really taken off. When we start it was very much white 20 year old dudes from America and no disrespect like they did some really great stuff but you know that you can't be what you can't see and so it's been a really nice change um I think really about six years ago where there's a lot more films that are showcasing women and definitely the change behind that was there was a lot more female filmmakers so people make films about the people that inspire them and female filmmakers are making films about women and they're just amazing films and it's not about the struggle of women or women in the outdoors but just incredible people and they happen to be women. That's adventure film curator Jemima Robinson ending that report from Jade Toomey and if you'd like to be inspired you can head to the ABC News website where there's a lovely video you can watch. And that's Australia Wide for today. Uh, For this Wednesday, remember you can podcast the show or listen back to the program through the ABC Listen app or by visiting the Australia Wide website. Just search for ABC Australia Wide. My name is Gianfranco Di Giovanni. Sinead Mangan will be back with you tomorrow. Remember you can always email us if you'd like to hear what's happening in your part of the world. AustraliaWide.radio at abc.net.au. Ciao for now. You've been listening to an ABC podcast. Discover more great ABC podcasts, live radio and exclusives on the ABC Listen app.